Throughout the Advent uh, season in our church, we've been talking about joy. Joy is uh, a theme that you find over and over and over again in the Christmas story. It begins with the angel telling Zechariah, a priest. Zechariah was an old man, too old to bear children, didn't have any. And an angel told Zechariah that he was going to have a son, and that son, John, would prepare the way of the Lord. And the angel tells Zechariah in that story that that child that he will have will bring joy to him, and many would rejoice at his birth. When the angel came to Mary and told her that she would be the mother of the long-awaited king of the Jews, her soul rejoiced. When Mary then went to see Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, and the mother of John, who would be the Baptist, John leaped in her womb for joy. And when John was born, Elizabeth's family and friends gathered together to share her joy. And the shepherds in the field received the news from the angels. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When the Magi saw the star in the east that led them to this newborn king, the story says that they were overjoyed. Like, I want some of that, right? Not just joy, overjoyed. When I was growing up, there were two renditions of Joy to the World. The one we sang in church during the Christmas season, Joy to the World, the Lord is come. And the other one was um, from Three Dog Night, Joy to the World, all the boys and girls, Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea, Joy to you and me. You guys, right? Thank you. Thank you very much. You're like, don't, don't give up your day job. My question tonight is, is that joy that the shepherds announced, or the angels announced to the shepherds to be for all the world, has it made it all the way to you and me? It's the centerpiece of the Christmas story, but it's atrophied. Joy is atrophied in the world, globally. I uh, read um, today in the news after Kirsten was, the city of Kirsten was bombed ruthlessly again last night. President Zelensky said, would, would those of you who are going to be gathering together with your family and your friends and feasting, would you have a thought for us? atrophied in in just about every realm of our culture, in politics, bickering and whining and complaining and accusations and judgment. In the entertainment world, I read again about this years-old feud between Kanye West and Taylor Swift, and, and there's a whole slew of those kinds of bickering and and complaining, and marriages, and divorces, and and you go to the sporting world, and there's all kinds of 
complaining and, and bickering and fighting there. Um, last, a, a week ago, uh, or two weeks ago, Draymond Green, he plays for the Golden State Warriors, had fans evicted from the stadium because he said that they threatened his life. And in commentary afterwards, he talked about how since the pandemic, since the things have reopened, and, and they've reopened the stadiums to fans again, the level of incivility from the fans to the players on the court is increased exponentially. And there's a unique irony to this because I know from good sources that Draymond Green is one of the worst trash talkers in the whole of the NBA. And he's saying, observing, that the incivility is worse than ever. We're almost three years into COVID, and we're still living with the fallout. And it's still wreaking havoc and loss of life in our economy, in our healthcare system, in our families. Kids are having a difficult time adjusting to the world that changed in the three years that they were not, or two years that they weren't in school. When I went to college, I can't remember ever hearing about a mental health center. Now every college has a mental health center, and they're overwhelmed with students who cannot cope with the pressures that they are facing. Given the state of our world, is joy even appropriate? Can, can we have a thought for the Ukrainian people and still celebrate with joy? Or did the angels get it wrong? That somehow this joy was not for everyone, or not for the whole world, or not for every age? Scripture doesn't turn a blind eye to the suffering in the world. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. He said, they're going to treat you the same way that they treated me. And every one of his disciples, except for John, died a martyr's death. And John died in exile. These are the people who wrote the scriptures that we read. And they are unrelenting and uncompromising in their call to joy, even in spite of the circumstances. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials, when you face trials, consider it pure joy, when you face trials of many kinds. Peter, Jesus' right-hand guy, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Paul, writing from prison, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul compared where we're living and what was to come to a woman in labor. The world is waiting. 
for this glorious future to be delivered. And it is agonizingly painful in ways that we wish we could avoid. But Paul says, but what's being birthed through these labor pains? What's being birthed through what we're enduring right now in the world? is so overwhelming in joy that it's not even worth comparing to what's to come. Jesus was born in joy. He grew up to write the book of joy. It was announced at his birth. We read all those stories. But it was also embedded, flowed out of his life. His very first miracle was what? It was making, turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana. A celebration of epic proportions. He came healing people. Paralytics. Walking again. Can you imagine the joy with which they leaped as they took their steps as their legs regained strength? People without sight seeing the beauty and the wonder and the colors of the world that God created. People hearing, again, maybe music for the very first time. And when he talked about the coming kingdom, about what was going to happen in the future, what he was establishing, what he was bringing into existence, he always talked about things like a feast about a celebration, about joy. Throughout his life, joy, joy, joy. And even in his suffering, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And how much joy on the morning that he rose from the grave In his last meeting with his disciples, Jesus said to them, As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other, as I have loved you. In this passage, Jesus spells out his objective for his disciples, for his followers. He says, this is what I'm after. This is what I want for you. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Think about it. What does complete joy look like for you? My impulse response is like it involves like a sandy beach, maybe a sunset, an umbrella drink. Joy. I don't know how long that joy would last. I've never got to stay long enough 
to not want to, to, to get to the point where I'm ready to leave, but, but eventually it probably would, right? How? Jesus, it, what does real joy look like? How can we have this joy that you are talking about? This joy that brings us complete joy. Jesus says, remain in my love. Okay, what does that look like? How do we do that? Like, go to church 24-7, sit in our private room and, and read our Bibles all day? How do we remain in his love? How do we do that, Jesus? He says, keep my commands. All right, what are your commands? Jesus keeps it pretty simple. Love your neighbor as I have loved you. Easy to remember, right? Can we all say it together? Love your neighbor as I have loved you, right? Who can forget that? Really, really easy to remember. Really, really hard sometimes to do. Really, Jesus? Really? That's it? That's what you're calling us to? That's joy? That's complete joy? I was thinking about this. I was like, what's the fruit of hating your neighbor? Right? If the fruit of loving your neighbor is complete joy, and that seems like a pretty, pretty tall task, What's going to motivate me to do that? How, where can I find the drive? So I'm thinking about, what, what, is, what does hating your neighbor look like? A couple years ago, I was on a, a ride-along with the Lakewood Sheriff's Department. We had two calls back-to-back. The first one was to an apartment complex in Lakewood, and the, the call came from the person who lived downstairs because the person who lived upstairs came home in the middle of the night Every night, they worked a late shift, came home, and then they would clean their house and make dinner and make all kinds of noise, and they're walking on the, the person's, their ceiling, their floor, right, making all kinds of noise. And the person, the people downstairs are irate because they're making so much noise. And the person upstairs is like, what am I supposed to do? I come home in the middle of the night. I got to do my laundry sometime. And as we're talking to them, I'm listening to the conversation going back and forth. It's like, wow, they are spending a lot of time, not just like when it happens, but thinking about it and dwelling on it and, and building up their, their frustration and their anger. And then we leave that call and we go to another call. And this one is in Lakewood Country Club. If you ever drive through Lakewood, really nice place. And the people, two neighbors, are fighting because their driveways are right next to each other. And this neighbor always puts his trash cans in one little spot between the two driveways. And this neighbor has a hard time getting their car out of the driveway. And they spend hours and hours. This has been happening for years, and we're tired of it. And, and back and forth and back and forth. And, the, I mean, the problem for the police is neither of these things are actually crimes. There's that. Might be annoying, might be very frustrating, but they're not crimes. 
And I just thought, you know what? It, you are spending so much energy hating your neighbor. What would, it would be so much easier if you just love your neighbor. <laughs> hating your neighbor is it harder than loving your neighbor. During our series, I asked you to think about the things that steal your joy. What, what takes joy away from you? I have a pretty long list. Ticketmaster <laughs> takes my joy. Well, actually, honestly, just about any customer service number, right? You get on the phone, you start pushing for this, push this button, push this button, push button, wait six minutes, wait six more minutes, get on the phone, you get disconnected, blah, blah, blah. You know the story. Steals my joy every time. Incompetent drivers steal my joy. Boarding a plane steals my joy. I don't get it. I'm sorry that people want to get on the plane as soon as they can so they can lounge in their love seats and lean out of the aisle with their drink and then growl at me when I walk by and actually brush up against them. Don't you know in any world it's quicker if you load the back of the plane first? Steals my joy. Imaginary conversations steal my joy. I'm sure none of you do this. I read something, I hear something, and then I go for a run, and I spend my whole run writing a response to that ridiculous thing that somebody thinks or somebody said. Like, I've got volumes of unwritten material. Self-pity. Self-talk. All things that steal my joy. And I think about those neighbors. And I think about myself. And it's counterintuitive. Because everything in me says joy to my world is joy according to me. Everything in me says joy in my world is joy according to me and everybody else getting on board in the right order on the plane, in the right order in the freeway, right? Everything in me says my joy is you getting in line with my agenda. And all of my experiences and all of my observations Reveal this. It simply doesn't work. It doesn't work. God loved the world. And he gave. He gave generously. He gave extravagantly. He gave sacrificially. He gave joyfully. And Jesus said that when he came, he remained in the Father's love. And out of this place of remaining, staying connected in communion with his Father, he loved his disciples. And he gave. He gave them friendship. He gave his life. He gave his spirit. 
And out of all of his giving, he was full. He was full of the Father's joy. And he says to his disciples, and through his disciples to us, extend my love to others and you will complete my joy in you. Love like me and your joy will be complete. His joy becomes our joy when we love like Jesus. Paul described Jesus' joy in his letter to the church at Corinth. Love is patient. Love is kind. This is what love looks like. This is what Jesus' love looks like. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I can't change the whole world. Jesus didn't, right? He was here for 33 years. Ministry was a couple, three years. He didn't change the whole world in the time that he was on the planet. but I can change somebody's world. And you can change somebody's world. You are changing somebody's world. Freely you have received, Jesus says. Freely you have received. Freely give. Every year in our Christmas celebration, we celebrate God's gift and his love for us in this baby, in a manger who would grow up to be a king, who would sacrifice his life to restore our relationship with our heavenly father. He brings joy to the world. But Jesus says that joy is not finished in you. Until you are loving others as I have loved you. We're going to do our candle lighting service. And it is the perfect metaphor for what it is that Jesus is offering us and what it is that Jesus is inviting us into. Receiving his light and sharing it with others. Lord, I pray tonight as we wrap up our time together with light celebrating the light of the world coming into the world. 
and sharing it with others. Would you continue the good work that you've begun in us? Stir joy. Help us see, some of us are really critical of ourselves, help us see where we are making a difference already and to rest in that and to celebrate it. And give us eyes to see too, Lord, where you're at work around us and where you're calling us to bring love to change somebody else's world. And in the order of your kingdom, to complete our joy. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.